We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hello and welcome to the Money Matters podcast. I'm Danny Hewson. And I'm Laura Souter. And it's great to be back in the office with you, Danny, celebrating International Women's Day this week. I think we've made it a week rather than a day. I like that. It has, yeah. I mean, the whole thing has been going on a week. And I know that there have been a huge number of events. Um, I've had loads of press releases dropping into the inbox every single day. And there's been a lot of coverage of women's issues, which I think has been really great. But what I'm really excited about is we're recording this the day that we host our first Money Matters in-person event, just a few hours time. And we can't wait to meet some of our podcast listeners to hear what they have to say, the questions that they have to ask and, and you know, what else they want to hear from us. It's so nice, I think, on two factors. The first, going back to actual in-person events and seeing people <laughs> live, not through a computer screen, is just very exciting for me. But also, like you say, to speak to to listeners we obviously get emails and tweets and instagram comments and things like that from them but it's going to be so nice to to answer their questions in person and to speak to them there's drinks afterwards i'm going to be like a kid in a sweet shop <laughs> <laughs> it it is so nice to be back in the office as well because this is the first time i've been back since you know, all the COVID changes happened. And I really miss just being able to have conversations with people that I work with. And the workplace is such an important place for women, for men as well, but it's such an important place to, to get ideas, to develop relationships. Yeah, 100%. And I think um, back to the kind of International Women's Day coverage this year, it's been quite positive. I think it's been really uplifting. I think it's been good to see what different companies have been doing. And um, yeah, I found it quite, quite positive seeing all of the companies getting involved this year. I mean, we know that there is still so much to do. We, we've spoken so many times about the gender investment gap, which really troubles us, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And there's, and there's so much more to do. And I think... We could have spent this special International Women's Day episode talking about all of the problems and all of the things that there are to do, but I think it's nicer to be a bit more uplifting. Look at all of the changes that have happened, all of the changes for the positive. Danny, you and I earlier this week were um, talking internally to our staff, we were giving a presentation, and we were talking about some of the changes for women in the world of work. And I think it really made me realize how much better I have it as a woman who's just come back from maternity leave than I would have done 30, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, a lot of changes in the workplace. And as you say, you know, there, there's so much awful news around at the moment, whether it's talking about cost of living crisis, which I know both you and I are being asked about all the time, but also, you know, just seeing those images from Ukraine. Um, and yeah, we thought that for this International Women's Day episode that we would do something uplifting, take a look at the changes that have happened in workplaces over the last 40 years or so. Uh, I had a great chat with Jodie Hill, who's the owner of Thrive Law, uh, an employment law specialist, talking about all the good things, you know, flexible working, hybrid working, maternity pay, flexible parental leave, some of the things that have changed since I went off and had my kids. She talks about what's working and also what can be improved. 
So before we hear from Jodie, we thought it would be interesting to speak to two women who are at very kind of different ends of their careers. So one of them is Amy Pridding. She is a tech apprentice here at AJ Bell. So she's just starting out in her career. Um, And the next is Dr. Phil Hughes. So she set up her own business, the Hughes Corporate Psychology, a consultancy, um, and more than a decade ago after a career in academia. But she was also involved in setting up the Cranfield University Female FTSE Index. So we started by chatting about some of the changes that they've seen. So I thought it would be interesting to start with what the main challenges were when you entered the world of work. So Amy, why don't we start with you first, as you've more recently entered the world of work. Um, what were kind of the, the big challenges that you felt like you faced, particularly, um, I guess, as a woman or through that lens as a woman uh, when you first started working? Yeah, um, so I think that the biggest challenge that I did probably face was uh, confidence and my self-belief in what I was capable of. Uh, Coming straight from sixth form, doing my A-levels straight into the workplace, it was quite daunting, um, especially everybody's, you know, kind of been there for quite a while, knew what they were doing. And I came in to the technology department knowing pretty much nothing. I was a clean slate. And having that confidence, self-belief that I could actually, you know, make a difference, get involved, share my ideas, it, it was quite a big thing for me. I think making mistakes as well was something I was always really scared of doing. I didn't want to mess anything up or let anybody down. And I think it was two weeks into my first, um, when I first joined AJ Bell, and I messed something up really awfully. Like I was um, messing around with something on a system and completely just messed it up. And I was in tears, crying. I thought, this is the end. I'm going to lose my job. And it, it was all fine. And I went and spoke to somebody and they were completely fine with it. But it was m- that mistake that I made that made me more confident, funny enough. Um, it made me, you know, kind of learn that making mistakes helped my learning process and it definitely sparked a lot more confidence in me. I began speaking up more in meetings. It was always very difficult at first because you think you want your opinion to be shared, but you're always under the impression that people know more than you, you know, you doubt yourself a lot more. So, uh, but just sharing it, you never know until you give it a go. And um, it's definitely something that um, I've had to overcome and definitely progress in. That's so interesting. And and Phil, does any of that resonate with you? Or did you kind of have different challenges, I guess, and concerns when, when you first entered work? I think ultimately, it's it's the same route, which is confidence. Um, because I went in at, 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 a, at a senior level in management academe, um, just because of the subject that I was looking at, which was strategy. So I was surrounded by um, real power rangers in the male academics and the people that we were researching alongside, senior executives. So there were all these male kind of power rangers around, and it was so difficult to be around them. Um, I was often the only young person in the room, usually the only woman in the room, um, no benchmark in terms of what good looks like, what I should be saying. So I suffered chronically with um, imposter syndrome. Should I be here? I'm waiting for someone to knock on my door and politely ask me to leave the room because it's been a dreadful mistake that you're here. 
And, you know, that that was, I struggled with that for a long, long time. And to find one's voice <laughs> was was literally very difficult in a profession where you're either presenting at a conference or delivering in the classroom. What you're using is your voice. And you're trying to generate your own personal brand in amongst all these seemingly very powerful, very confident individuals. But guess what? They suffered imposter syndrome too. I think that's probably something that we all resonate with and, and we've all felt at some point and probably still struggle with. I think um, what's interesting is both of you have gone into quite male-dominated, very male-dominated industries. Um, was that an active choice on your part and, and how do you think that that's kind of impacted your experiences of, of work Amy is that was it an active choice to go into some quite male focused industry um definitely not I mean I work in finance which is obviously very uh, male dominated and uh, not only that I work in the technology department of a financial company again um, I am the minority in both of those instances and for me that decision to go into technology it was never something you know when you're little and you think what do I want to be when I'm older technology was never anything I'd ever considered and um, it only just so happens that I wanted to go into a degree apprenticeship I didn't want to go into full-time university didn't feel like it was for me and a lot of the degree apprenticeships I were looking at were all technology-based. It was all this same sort of skill. And I'd always had a very, I was always very nervous and, you know, not very keen on looking at technology. I didn't think it was ever something I could do or be able to, you know, bring my skills with. So I always avoided it. And I went for this job, uh, my degree apprenticeship, and I ended up, um, being successful and I have learned so so much from it and uh, my university my next term I'm actually specializing in coding which is never something that I thought I would be able to do and again it, it is very male orientated I think the amount of males that I do work with I've come from an all-girls school my whole life to uh, a very male dominated uh, environment it's very difficult but um, it just makes me more motivated to prove myself and work harder, really, to show that I can do that. And I'm really proud of myself, how far I've come in the industry. And um, Phil, was that the same for you? Was it kind of an, an, an accidental move into a, a male-dominated world? Or was it, a, I don't know, a, a, a target that you set yourself to go into a more male-focused industry and kind of break through there? Um, it, it, it certainly wasn't the latter. I began in psychology and it was a very dominated, female dominated uh, subject area um, and profession. And then when I started to specialise more in occupational psychology, it was a case of, well, where have all the women gone? And literally the balance changed overnight and it went from male-dominated to male-dominated and literally 20%. And then because I was interested in organisational psychology and this is where there was a deliberate choice on my part, I would look and think, where is the power, where is the influence, where is the voice? 
and that is at the top. And so that's where I want to be. I want to be in that space. Who speaks to those people? Strategy, strategists, right? That's what I want to do. And so by the time I got there, um, well, Laura, when I was first going in there, which we're talking, we're talking about 1995, there was no choice. It was all male dominated. It didn't occur to me that it would be any different. Isn't that, isn't that sad? But it did not occur to me. And so what have you seen change over over that time, over the time since since you started out? I, I guess what have you, we could look at the positives and the negatives. What have you seen change for the benefit and, and what still has so much to change? I think the change for the benefit is that it is exactly not like that any anymore. And hearing Amy's, you know, lack of expectation that that would be the case it is wonderful. Um I think that there has been a, a normalization of um, a validation of a recognition, let's say, of the debate around women in work. It has become recognized and, and measured. And when you get a measurement alongside something like the gender pay gap, it really is recognized. And you know that then. Um and so I think the recognition has made a huge amount of difference, a huge amount of difference. And I think um, culturally what has changed, and I think this is so much better for your generation, Amy, is that this whole kind of having it all, women having it all, having to do it all debate has kind of really, really calmed down. We're not saddling our girls with that anymore. And I think, well, far less so and I think that has changed hugely for the positive hugely so I I feel very very hopeful about the future very hopeful and Amy do you share that same optimism I guess for the progress that's been made and and that will continue to be made yeah definitely definitely I mean for me to get this opportunity so far you know working in technology I, I guess that wasn't something, you know, my my mum even sort of even looked at when she was my age. So I think we've definitely come a long way and I think it can only go further. Having, you know, us talking like this is, you know, shows the steps that we have sort of made so far. And I think it's it's only going to get better, really. And do you have any kind of concerns or, or worries about progressing in your career as a woman, particularly in a in male-dominated industry? Um, are there things that concern you that maybe wouldn't concern your male colleagues, or do you think it's on a much more kind of even keel now? I think obviously things that I want to go and have a family. I, you know, I do want to go and start my own family. That, that could possibly hold me back. That's what I do worry about. I do want that whole picket fence, you know, little ones running around. And does that mean that my career will have to come to a standstill at some point? Will I not get as further up the ladder than my male counterparts? Then, you know, that's something that I'll have to come and face when the time comes to it. I mean, I you know, it's not as much of a worry to them. I know that males are becoming a lot more involved when it comes to family, taking more time out with them. But at the same time, it is still quite a big concern to me that I won't be able to progress as far. I won't get higher up that ladder to the leadership roles that I want to try and achieve. 
Yeah, and I think the you're right in saying that that, that men are more involved in in that family side, and um, there's things like shared parental leave out there now, but they are still vastly underused and the take up of them is still really low so whilst there's the availability of stuff to help fix some of the problems that you talk about there the take up of it is actually still pretty low and and too low to make a a dramatic difference I would say Um, but Phil are are they some of the concerns that you maybe similar concerns that you had when you were starting out in your career? Um, Yes and no Um, I think that AIM is right to be concerned about a career break because I think organisations have just not nailed it and um, society hasn't nailed it. And we've been working on this for, for decades and decades and still it's, it's, it's problematic. And I think that organisations don't do well at preserving talent such as Amy, to make sure that she doesn't have to take a step back and she isn't worried about that. And that equally it is shared across all employees. It doesn't matter about the gender. It doesn't matter who has had the child. So I think we haven't nailed that and it that remains a concern. You see, for me in my career, I'm very lucky. I, I Because I have choice, I have freedom of choice, I, I don't feel concerned for me. I have a great concern for the generation that follows. I have a great concern to making things better for those women. And I think, Amy, you're right to be concerned about that because I don't think it's it's covered off. And I think you have to be smart about how you do you do, do that and don't let it stop you. Um, I think there are also some perennials that are still around for women that are going to hold them back in their careers because society is taking so long to change. And I think those things are going to, are going to hold women back. You know, the society is still very structured around a male orientation. It simply is in, in Western society. And I think we all suffer from this pretty low-grade misogyny in terms of language, and that means that girls and young women just have this expectation of not getting included. I think they are concerns that still are around for me. I think that the short-term, the medium-term, the longer-term all present challenges, but I think they present opportunities for women as well. I really do think that it's about being smart to those opportunities, seeing them a long enough way out and positioning yourself well to take advantage of them. And I guess um, a good place to finish is to talk about what one change would you make that you think would make a dramatic impact to, to women in the world of work? So, I mean, obviously putting you on the spot slightly, solving a lot of problems in one fell swoop, but... Um, Amy, what what one big change do you think would make a big impact to to your career or to your friends' careers and and progression in them? Um, I think a lot of issues with women getting involved into technology is sort of the stigma attached. I think it, it becomes a very young age, this systemic issue of, you know, it's always sort of the nerdy, you know, unattractive women that kind of get involved in my industry. And it's stuff that you, you watch in movies growing up. It's it's embedded in the society around us, this idea that, you know, women aren't really 
going into the technology industry they're more in caring roles or other sort of things like that and I think it's about changing people's perceptions really of you know what women can accomplish in technology it isn't just nerdy geeky stuff it's exciting it's innovative it's everything and um, I think it's it's going back really to a younger age and if I'd have known when I was younger the opportunities out there uh, I wouldn't have even I would have considered technology straight away Um, but it just wasn't an option for me I'd never dreamt of it at all so I'd say it's definitely um, going back and changing um, society's perception. Um, Phil, how about you? What what one change would you make if you had a magic wand? Oosh, oosh, magic wand. What would happen? It would happen like this. Instead of organisations are managed and led and run and monitored and controlled, it, and it looks like a male model, a male, you know, um, it, it's very much around a male psychology, right? And we look for a female-shaped hole to slot into that. I would love to do it the other way around. I would say let's have a non-gendered way of running and leading organisations and everybody slots in. I think that is a big magic wand because it's a huge change, but that's what I would like to see. Thank you so much, both of you, for sharing your experiences. It's been so interesting to kind of compare and contrast. Um, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. I found that conversation between Phil and Amy really fascinating. And I just think sometimes about some of the conversations you and I have, because I'm obviously a little bit older than you. Not much older. Not much older. <laughs> um, but... It's, it was good to hear how much has changed, but also interesting how much has actually stayed the same. And, you know, we know work is actually a huge part of the investment equation as well, because, you know, the main reason a lot of women say that they don't invest is because they don't have the disposable income to do that. And, you know, as prices keep rising, I know that I'm certainly having to keep a close eye on my incomings and outgoings. Yeah, and we've talked about this before, how career breaks are such a big impact on women's finances things like not thinking about pensions and contributing to pensions while they're off on maternity leave or going back to work part-time and earning less so um, the world of work really plays into that investment gender gap and you know over the last 40 years that there's been a big shift I I haven't been in the workplace for 40 years but (laughs) certainly in in the sort of 25 or so years that I've been in the workplace I've noticed it how women are treated in the workplace Um, and as you say the other day we had this fantastic discussion internally um, about all the things which affect women at work you know from having children to going through the menopause from how to position yourself for promotion to how to ask for a pay rise and I think that was a really interesting one and we're definitely going to uh, have a look at that for a future pod episode but right now I had a chat with Jodie Hill from Thrive Law about how the law has changed when it comes to women in the workplace. We're talking about we've been talking about the gender investment gap and the things that get in the way of women earning the same as men investing the same as men 
being able to push ahead with their careers in the same way that men can. But a lot has changed, particularly over the last 10, 20 years. What do you think has been the, the biggest advance which has helped women really sort of fight their way in the workplace? So I think um, to even have a positive from the lockdowns, I think the lockdowns and the forced home working and more flexible working has certainly given uh, working women a better opportunity because it showed employers that actually it works. I think a lot of employers were saying, well, that's just not what we do. That's not it's not it's not how our business works. And now we're seeing a huge shift on a more permanent basis towards hybrid and home working. And even if they're not shifting the whole workplace, we're finding that employers are being more amenable to the fact that this is a way of working that does work for women um, so we're finding actually a lot more women are applying for flexible working and having that granted which I think is really positive because it means they can balance a career with childcare. Do you know I um, renewed my insurance um, just yesterday and the woman I was talking to on the phone she was in exactly that place she used to only do two days a week that's all mm. she could do and one of them was a Saturday and now yeah. because she's able to work from home she's doing four days yeah. so it means at a time when you know prices are, are really eating into everybody's budgets yeah she's able to earn just that little bit more and also it means they can progress their careers it's not just about the now it's the long term as well it, you know lots of women feel like they have to choose between having a family and, and working because their career path doesn't facilitate that flexibility so you know, employers that can support women in that way are not only getting obviously amazing talent because they're now they've got that, you know, that example there is perfect in that you've got someone who's probably amazing on those two days, but that's all she could physically do. Now you've got double the, you know, double the output from her and she's probably happier because she feels like she's contributing, you know, because sometimes women don't just want to be sat at home, you know. It, it has been a brilliant change, but of course, with the big push back to the office, there mm. will be people who have found that it's really worked for them, want to continue yeah. doing it. Do they have any right to ask to continue doing it and to be granted that? Yeah, so they certainly have a right to ask. So if you've been employed for more than six months, you have the right to ask for flexible working. And that's effectively looking at how you could change your current terms and conditions. So say you're going back to the workplace um, and you've got, I don't know, you've got to be in the office at certain times, then you, you can ask for those to be flexed during a flexible working request. So the, the employer should have a policy in place that sets out how to do that, but essentially just put it in writing to your manager um, if you can have some conversations beforehand often employers are telling people this is what the new normal looks like if you think that doesn't fit with you know your your future plans because you've got used to working the way that you're working then try to have those conversations first because what we're seeing is some people just not doing that going back and go well this doesn't work um, actually that's a bit too late then isn't it you know have those conversations in advance I think it's really important you spoke earlier about choices that many women have to wait, make when they decide they want to have a family and they take a career break and maybe then they only go back part time. Mm. But it's not that long ago when having a baby might have meant that a woman could have lost her job. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, we still see that women do lose their jobs because they're having a baby. You know, one of the things I specialize in, and unfortunately, is 
discrimination because of pregnancy and maternity and we see that women tend to be made redundant and even though the law is there to protect them and you know there, there is that uh, you know that layer of protection from a discrimination perspective the reality is it doesn't stop employers from doing that and so we still unfortunately see some of that um, but we are seeing a lot more employers being mindful about how can we actually support this woman what can we do to create an environment that she feels she can come back to and it's something that we've been doing a lot of um, I, I mentioned to you before before we started recording that the I've got two ladies on maternity leave at the moment and one of the things that um, you know first-hand experience you know I've only had my firm for just under four years and um, so we've got two of our lawyers off and the way that we've you know we've got their feedback in terms of how can we support you best we've got a coach for them during pregnancy maternity and when they come back we've got lots of different things happening on their kit days so that they've got that control and that involvement because what we find is a lot of women feel like they're left behind they're forgotten for a year um, they lose their confidence and when they do come back to the work at workplace it's often well you don't need to come to that networking event because you've got kids now and it's you know that kind of attitude is, is is I think is shifting now because of this flexibility as well which is really good and it's not of course just maternity when women need support and I know you do a lot of work with mental health yeah. and menopause can play a huge part in that and it's only just now really that employers employees and, and just people generally are talking about it that's right I mean there are some employers who already have things like menopause policies explaining some of the terminology doing some awareness training for all staff not just for women for all staff understanding you know what those symptoms could look like and what we've seen from a lot of uh, women who've reported menopause symptoms is that actually some of it's physical and some of it's mental and so you know that combination it can exacerbate existing conditions it can you know make the environment that they're working in quite unbearable so having that education piece I think has been has been great over the past year or so we've seen loads of organizations really stepping up and I think you know understanding that menopause could be a disability as well so it means it could be protected from that perspective as well as the fact that um, it's it could be because of age discrimination and it could also be because they're a woman so they've got three layers of protection um, and I think that education and awareness piece around this particular issue is, is so important not just for the for the women in, involved but also for everyone in the workplace because it affects everybody. And do you think the fact that there's a tight labour market at the moment is making employers realise what a valuable asset either women who have been on maternity leave and maybe only come back one day or, or maybe are still waiting to come back, women at the other end when they're thinking about retirement or they're thinking about taking time off or leaving the workplace because of menopause, mm. do you think that tight labour market is making employers go, hang on a second, what can we do? Yeah, certainly. It certainly is. And we're seeing as well a, a massive shift generally with, with like diversity, inclusion, mental health. What people are actually looking for in the workplace is different. It's not just a salary anymore. They want that flexibility. They want the culture. They want the environment that allows them to show up as their true self, allows them to be their best self at work, which wasn't really the focus, say, two or three years ago. But I think the pandemic has certainly pushed it into that uh, environment which is which is great because it helps it helps everybody not just women but but particularly helps women in in what has been you know a very challenging as you say 20 odd years in the workplace for a woman entering the workplace now it is such a different place from a woman entering the workplace 20 years ago and I just think about my career and how mm. 
the conversations that are so different now, the opportunities, things like shared parental leave, yeah. it, it has changed for the better. Absolutely. And, and, and the, the fact that you've got things like shared parental leave, more awareness around things like menopause, support with pregnancy, that, that is, is much more commonplace. And more employers that share best practice, more women that talk about how employers have done good things. I think that actually helps because often, you know, we can often people will go, oh, you know, you're a feminist. It's this, it's that. When the reality is we want, you know, we want equality for all and we want women to be you know, have that equal footing when they're in the workplace. And the reality is that doesn't always happen. So these these things help us get that shift in the right direction. So sometimes just having a conversation, yeah. whether it be with your boss or with a mm. colleague or with your mum or with a mate, that, that can be a huge part of the solution. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, not just talking about the negative stuff, sharing the, the good experiences and sharing that best practice. I think that's what we need to do more of. Organisations do sometimes do this, but often people keep it quite closed in terms of what they're doing. And I think if we can encourage more people to talk about what's happened, that's good. And what, you know, also the challenges, what didn't work, but but really sharing that best practice and, and trying to support one another rather than it being this um, almost like working in silos where, you know, organization well this is our policy we don't want anyone to know what we're doing and the reality is we're all kind of doing the same things and if we can just share some of those throughout that journey it really it really will help other organizations go oh I'm not doing that okay I'll do that as well got to talk about money um mm. the gender pay gap still a big issue and of course all the things that we've spoken about already maternity mm. leave menopause all play a part in that and hopefully maybe flexible working and hybrid working will help mitigate that to a degree yeah but what more can be done is some of it down to the fact that maybe as women we're not so good at asking for pay rises literally just going to say that yeah I think that in my experience um certainly as an employer and an employment lawyer the the men do tend to always ask for more they have more confidence and they don't wait till they're perfect at a job they'll go for that pay rise and they'll work it out later whereas statistically women do hold back they'll wait till they think that they're they're due it and often they undervalue themselves because you know they put themselves last because they're doing stuff for everybody else so the reality is part of it is is we need to be more assertive and we need to know what our worth is and ask for what we think we deserve and I've I've even had this in my firm and when I first set up I was charging hardly anything and uh, everyone was saying why why are you why are you not charging properly and and you know we reviewed things and it took me ages to feel like I could do it it took me a really long time and you know that's having my own law firm so you know, imagine in a you know that's my own firm imagine being in a, in a a workplace where you have to ask your boss it's a scary concept right so I am my boss I'm telling myself what to charge and I still couldn't do it so it's the reality is we've all got that in us somewhere and it's to different different degrees but yeah I think sometimes it is it is that confidence piece and it's it's knowing what we're worth and and almost getting getting to grips with the fact that some of us have a bit of imposter syndrome and and that means that we feel we're not worthy of that um, so certainly seeing more people go for what they're worth is, is, is really positive. I've seen it recently and lots of people even just setting up their own business going, actually, this isn't for me. This is what I need for my life. And this is what I'm worth. Um, and worth doesn't always mean money. It might mean, you know, the work life balance. It might mean the quality of the work that they're doing or the culture that they want to be around. So I think that's a really interesting piece because actually money isn't the driving force for a lot of people at the moment. It, obviously you've got your basic needs, but we're seeing a huge shift in terms of what people are looking for at work which is interesting 
Yeah. But knowing your worth and being able to ask for a bit more money, feeling comfortable to do that, particularly now, of course, but that might also help with the gender investment gap. Because the one thing that we still see so much of is women just don't have as much as men going into retirement. Yeah, it's it's a huge problem. And I think, you know, like you say, the fact that women take that time off to go on maternity leave, they're much more likely to work shorter hours in lower paid jobs because of childcare. If we do embrace this more flexible working model, that should help bridge the gap. But I also think you need to have more women in senior leadership roles. And certainly in lots of professions, what we're seeing is women going, getting to a certain point and they can't, because there isn't that flexibility, they just can't maintain the career and a family. And so so that, again, is, is a massive factor because then they're not in a senior leadership role. They might almost take, uh, you know, a, a demotion or move to a different career, which means they have to start at the bottom again. So these things also have a huge impact on the gender pay gap, I think. But when we see things like the boss of co-op food taking a few months off to help her kids with their exams, yeah, that kind of helps us have those conversations. And, and although... There's been a lot of kickback. Some people mm. have been quite negative. Some people have been really positive. Some people have said, well, there's no way that we could ever get that. Mm. But just seeing those changes happen makes the change sometimes. Yeah, having role models who are doing this, you know, having people that you can look up to because, you know, if you've just got all white middle-aged men in a company it's very difficult for a woman to think actually yeah if I ask for that it will be accepted so even just having women in those leadership roles but then actually showcasing that they you know they are in a leadership role and they're able to do all these other things it's showing that they can do both I think that is so so important but also men doing the same thing you know we need men to to use shared parental leave we need them to to be confident to ask for time off for their kids because again there's that huge issue that you know there's the stigma around well you know that's the woman's job well it's not and you know the reality is if more men did that then less women would be feeling compelled to do the work you know in the way that they're doing it now so yeah I think there's a there's a shift it's not just on women. Jodie it's been really lovely chatting to you thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Jodie from Thrive Law, um, and as I was saying, I've experienced a lot of changes in the last 25 years, you know, just things like statutory maternity pay, because I know that just before I had my first child, um, the payment period was extended to 26 weeks, uh, now 39 weeks, and, and I know that you found that for you, those keeping in touch days were really useful, and they weren't around in my time either, so, you know, a lot has moved on. They were useful for a double whammy. One, reminding me how to actually do my job and two, giving me some money in that lean time towards the end of your maternity leave where you're not getting any pay. (laughs) But um, this year's International Women's Day theme was breaking the bias. And I think there's been lots of positive changes. Um, Gender pay reporting was one of them, but there's clearly lots more to do. we also had a competition linked in with International Women's Day, social media competition. Yeah, it was great. So, yeah, big shout out to anyone who um, nominated an inspirational woman um, as part of that. And if you're not following us on Instagram, then definitely go take a look. Give us a follow. Just search for AJ Bell Money Matters and you will find us. Um, you can also sign up to the newsletter via the Money Matters homepage. Um, and that means that you'll get notified of the next time we have a live event like we're doing this evening or when articles go live or when the next podcast episode drops.
And we'll definitely listen to all the questions that are asked at the live event tonight because they do sort of inspire us to, to you know, take on certain things for our next podcast episode. Um, we are going to be looking at the tax year end next time, making sure that you've made the most of, you know, all of those investment allowances and also, you know, with the volatility that's around at the moment and inflation, um, just planning what to do for the next year uh, because, uh, you know, inflation is a huge issue right now, isn't it? Uh, and we also have the Chancellor's Spring Statement. We do, yep. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks' time. So we're going to be picking apart all of the key points, anything that comes out of that that might be uh, relevant to everyone, but particularly relevant to women, um, where they're investing or, like you say, trying to get through that cost of living crunch. And um, as always, do get in touch. Um, you can email us, moneymatters at AJ Bell, or as Laura said, check out our Instagram account at AJ Bell Money Matters, or do sign up for our newsletter. Uh, happy International Women's Day. Thank you, and um, thanks to everyone for listening. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.